but the Rams were built to win the Super Bowl, and they have sealed the deal. I want you to think back to February of 2022. The Super Bowl had just happened. The LA Rams beat the Cincinnati Bengals 23 to 20. And if you were watching the ads, one thing you saw a lot of was crypto. Sam Bankman-Fried had aired one with Larry David, where he was sort of this time-traveling Luddite who poo-pooed all sorts of inventions from the wheel to the fork. Like I was saying, it's FTX. It's a safe and easy way to get into crypto. Yeah, I don't think so. And I'm never wrong about this stuff. Never. The message of all these ads was crypto's the next big thing. That's Zeke Fox. Zeke is an investigative reporter for Bloomberg and just wrote the book Number Go Up, Inside Crypto's Wild Rise and Staggering Fall. If you don't get in on it, you're really missing out. You are a loser. We're all going to get rich here buying all these random coins. And you're just, you know, keeping your money in the bank like a sucker. And Zeke was sitting there watching all these ads and all these headlines about crypto prices going up and up. And while his investigative reporter brain was skeptical, another part of him was wondering, wait, am I a sucker? So at that time, I decided I would write a profile of the boy genius of crypto, the guy who seemed to have figured it all out. He was 29 years old, worth $20 billion. He was talking about buying Goldman Sachs and taking over Wall Street next. And the crazy thing was, hard to believe now, but it actually sounded kind of plausible. You know where this is going. The boy genius, obviously, is Sam Bankman-Fried. Zeke flies to the Bahamas to meet him. They sit down and spend a lot of time talking about philanthropy and effective altruism. And Zeke writes a magazine story with the headline, A 30-Year-Old Crypto Billionaire Wants to Give His Fortune Away. So the question as a reporter that I was asking when crypto was going well and when I went to go profile Sam, my question was, will he give his money away or will the pursuit of it corrupt him and will he get sidelined and end up just like a typical rich guy who's just getting richer and richer and talking about maybe giving it away in the future. Um, But of course, I should have been asking, is this all a giant scam? Are you like one of the greatest con con men in history? That would have been like a more fun question. This week, Sam Bankman-Fried goes on trial for fraud. Zeke will, of course, be watching. And so will the whole crypto industry as their boy genius is now a fallen Icarus. Today on the show, inside crypto's flight toward the sun, or was it the moon? Was it a doomed voyage all along? I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around. Zeke's fascination with crypto began with a group chat. His friend Jay texted the group that he'd bought what he called Doggy Coin. And with that investment, he made enough money to take his family to Disney. And Zeke, who had covered all kinds of financial crime on Wall Street and in finance, thought the whole thing was ridiculous and texted that back. And I was like, it's called Dogecoin and it's stupid and don't buy it. Um, and then, yeah, he made this money. He went to Disney. now. 
Disney is like the last place I'd ever want to go. So I wasn't jealous in that sense. Um, but it was more like I was mad that I wasn't right. I really like being right. And here he was. He was right. He said by doggy coin. And then it did grow up and he made money. And I felt like this violated the logic of the financial world. And I looked around at all these coins were going up and up. I just thought, is there really nothing to this? Is it all just Jays buying doggy coin? And the crazy thing was, the more that I looked, the more I realized that it was just people buying Dogecoin because they thought it would go up. One of the biggest crypto hedge funds, Three Arrows Capital, that blew up and evaporated something like $5 billion, had made huge bets on Dogecoin going up. And not for it, it, Dogecoin, it doesn't do anything. Like it's just, it is just like, oh, buy it and it'll go up. If Sam Bankman Freed himself, his hedge fund had made big bets on Dogecoin based on whether they thought Elon Musk would tweet about it. The whole industry really rests on the idea of a stable coin, something that is supposed to be backed one to one with fiat currency, with hard money. And really, the heart of your book is your investigation of Tether, which everybody was relying on to be solid. And yet, the minute you start researching it, it's like a parade of red flags. Can you take me through the start of your journey looking into Tether? So it's 2021. Janet Yellen calls a meeting of all the top financial regulators. They all walk over to the Treasury Department, and they have this meeting about crypto and tether the stable coin. And they're talking about, does it really have $50 billion in the bank? And if it doesn't, could the financial system collapse? Like not just the crypto world, the whole real world. And so I, I hear about this. I don't know that much about crypto. Even though they're questioning it, I'm thinking it must be like somewhat legit if it's risen to this level. And then I start looking into it. And first off, the CEO and the CFO are never seen in public, no interviews. It's unclear where the company is. It, it, they've implied they're regulated by the British Virgin Islands, but I email the financial regulator there and I say, like, do you regulate Tether? Do you have any you know, records on them? And he's like, no, we have never <laughs> regulated Tether, which I'm not even, I still think they might be supposed to. I don't know. It's very hard to untangle. Remember that Tether is supposed to be boring crypto crypto backed by fiat currency in the bank. So you might expect that the people behind Tether would, by extension, be boring and vanilla. Except they are anything but. One of the founders is a child actor, a former child actor named Brock Pierce. From the Mighty Ducks. Yes, he, he's not one of the main kids. He plays Gordon Bombay in the flashback at the beginning where he misses the penalty shot. But he was a successful child actor who had a weird career in dot-com startups and then World of Warcraft item trading. And then there is the man at the helm of Tether, Giancarlo Devasini. He's a former plastic surgeon from Milan who then got into the import-export business and was accused of selling counterfeit Microsoft software on floppy disks uh, back in the 90s. And I'm just wondering, like, 
what is this weird company? Why are these financial regulators talking about this like it actually affects the real financial system? It was just a really fun mystery. And I thought, okay, these are the kind of people I know about. This is something I could actually investigate. I'm not going to be the one to figure out how crypto works exactly, but I'm the one who can look into the former plastic surgeon who claims to have $50 billion in the bank somewhere, but we don't know where it is. One of the things that you get out in the book is that, like, a lot of people were skeptical of Tether. I mean, the description you've just given me, if someone said, give your money to these people, I'd be like, you have got to be kidding. But a lot of the logic and reasoning seems to go out the window because number go up. Like, if everybody believes that the thing is going to be more valuable, the thing is more valuable. And I wonder what that tells you about the mentality behind all of this. That's something that I kept seeing. Like, like you can think of Tether as, as casino chips. And if you need these casino chips to gamble at this amazing crypto casino where everyone's getting rich, then you're willing to overlook any flaws in this casino chip system. And I similarly, in the book, I buy a NFT. Essentially, it's like a digital picture of a monkey that I paid $20,000 for. I can't believe your wife was cool with this. It, it was so nice of Nikki, um, but she's always uh, supports all my weird adventures. And I promised her that it would be good material for the book. And it was. But I realized in buying it, the process was so horrible that it was a surprise. I, my expectations were low, but then I was still surprised because I, then I realized who would do this if they did not think they were going to get rich? Like the, the appeal ha- of number go up has to be there to get people to send their money to FTX, like this weird offshore company, or to buy Dogecoin, or to go through this whole struggle to buy an NFT. If you don't have this appeal of, I'm going to get rich quick, I was I kept wondering, what's in it for you for me? Why would I want to do crypto if I wasn't going to get rich? And that, that's what I, I would ask a lot of the founders. Okay, I'm not saying your coin's going to crash, but like it can't go up forever. If it's just flat, why is anyone going to do this? And people did not have good answers for that question. Maybe this is a stupid question, but why did the number go up? Why did people think that they could make money forever? It's hard to say. I think that, um, I mean, low interest rates made venture capital funding available to a lot of these really speculative crypto companies. That were throwing off big yields. So like instead of putting your money in something that made sense, you might put your money in something that was giving, promising a 20% yield. Yeah. So this last crypto bubble, which I think will never be matched, a lot of the companies were promising yield and you couldn't get yield elsewhere. And the pitch of a, because people have gotten a bit more sophisticated, where if you just say, there are these coins that are essentially competing to be stupid and everyone knows they're stupid, like Dogecoin. But if you say, if you're trying to be serious about it, you can't just say, oh, I've got this coin and it's the best. You sort of need a whole pitch about how we're going to have staking and there'll be yield and you'll earn 10%. That's what sucked in a lot of people. 
And there was a lot of money available. People had stimulus checks. They were bored. I mean, all forms of gambling have taken off. I don't know exactly how it got started, but once it started going up, it's just such a powerful story. You hear about somebody who got who made money on crypto and you want to do it too. And for a while, it just seemed like everybody was doing it. And you were kind of a sucker if you didn't. You you put the Ponzi scheme question to like multiple people in this book. And a lot of them were like, well, yeah, but what did you make of that? Yes, I, I was just, I love this quote that um, one crypto guy said to CNN talking about a crypto app called Axie Infinity. And he said it was a Ponzi scheme with the most positive externalities of any Ponzi scheme out there. <laughs> and some of, I mean, there's a whole range, but some of them were pretty open with the idea that we're just, well, they had this, this saying, we're all going to make it like wag me. You'd see this on Twitter. And the idea of that was just like, if we all just buy and we don't sell, the number will go up and we're all going to be rich and it's going to be so awesome. But the problem is that it just doesn't work. We can't all be rich. Money is like a way of dividing up the resources of the world. Another thing I'd like to ask them is like, if your vision comes true and Bitcoin goes to, you know, a million, will the Winklevoss twins, the Facebook guys who have a lot of Bitcoin, will they now be like kings of the world? And are they going to be nice kings? It just doesn't work. We can't all get rich. Number can't go up forever. But for a while, people got so caught up in it, they kind of thought that it would. But it's not just the Giancarlo Devasinis. It's not just Brock Pierce. It's not just the people who were creating the weirdest coins you've heard of. Major banks, big players, were all thinking about crypto or trying to take it seriously. And as someone who has covered finance for a long time, what does that tell you about the financial system that you have a bank like a JP Morgan saying like, well, maybe we ought to take a look at this thing? Part of that is the crypto world is really, really great at like if any normal company even like coughs in the direction of Bitcoin, they turn it into like a big headline that we all talk about. And they create this impression that the mainstream world is really interested in crypto. And I think the mainstream financial world's attitude is more like so many people are trading crypto. They're willing to pay fees to do so. I guess we should maybe facilitate that and get some fees and not let other people just get all the fees. It was more like how big banks funded the building of all the Las Vegas casinos with junk bonds. I, I did not see too many major players who are making big bets with their own money on the on the coin prices going up. More like if you guys want to be stupid, we'll help you. Exactly. <laughs> When we come back, what's at stake in Sam Bankman-Fried's trial and what Sam told Zeke right before he got arrested? Remember that Tether was supposed to be stable. One Tether backed by one U.S. dollar. But it was really hard to tell what that one-to-one -one backing really meant. In fact, those tethers were really backed, but not necessarily by dollars, more like exotic loans. Tether had invested quite a lot in short-term loans to Chinese companies. They'd made loans to other crypto companies 
a lot of stuff that when I found it out made me even more suspicious of Tether. But the crazy thing is, like I I spent two years looking into this, traveling around the world trying to get to the bottom of the whole like cryptomania. But even as all the other companies started to blow up, Tether did not. And the one that I thought was the most worthy of investigation actually survived this like crypto collapse that felled seemingly every other company that I came across. And just started lending again. Yeah. Now that interest rates have climbed, Tether's business model is unbelievable because they can take this, now that it's grown to $80 billion, the pot of money, they can take that and invest it in U.S. treasuries, which are very safe, and earn 5% a year, which is $44 billion. So it's, it's a tiny operation. The plastic surgeon guy is still at the top of it. He's now a billionaire. And Tether, this stablecoin that's gotten no less weird, is now one of the most profitable companies in the world. It makes higher quarterly profits than Nike. What do you do with that? Is the fact that they've got treasuries taking us back to like, well, now it is stable. I just continually ask myself why people are trusting Tether. Um, because in the crypto world, a lot of the pitch was it's trustless. You don't have to trust. But we've found again and again that you do have to trust. And if the people running the company are untrustworthy, they may come up with some way to take your money. Um, and in case of Tether, the company has been sued for lying about its reserves by the New York Attorney General. I just wondered why it was able to maintain this central position in the crypto world. In the book, one of the things I was hearing about a lot was that Tether might be used by people who are up to no good. So I tried to explore that to see if that might account for some of its continued popularity. And I did find that, now I don't know how much Tether the usage this accounts for, but that it is quite popular with with scammers who might be less concerned about exactly what's backing it. Well, that brings me to the people who lost money, because it's all well and good to be like, yo, number go up. This is hilarious. People are getting rich off of stupid things and things that are maybe fraudulent. But a lot of people, regular people, lost money. A lot of it. Right. Like, and this is, I think, Maybe not explicitly, but why I did not like this Dogecoin idea to begin with. I more recently spoke to a very nice, normal person who works at a public school in New Jersey who had gotten sucked in by this Dogecoin, had some fun with that. She had been saving up to buy a house and ended up putting quite a bit of money at one of these crypto platforms that collapsed. And she ended up losing something like $100,000. Oh my God. This was a big setback in her plan for her life. You know, and she, it started with Dogecoin, but that was sort of the gateway drug. And then she ended up hearing these pitches about earning, you know, 10% interest. And I am amazed by just, I'm talking about crypto a lot these days with a lot of people. And I'm amazed, continually surprised by how many people I meet who you really think wouldn't have done it, who put surprising amounts of money into crypto and lost it. And we just, I think people don't like to brag so much about losing money on crypto. We don't hear about it as much as we did during the during the bubble. 
The biggest question behind all of this, the losses, the gains, the crazy stories, is whether when we talk about crypto, we are talking about some bad bets or about fraud. And that brings me back to Sam Bankman-Fried. The U.S. government has charged him with seven counts of fraud and conspiracy. And much of the trial will turn on whether he was knowingly misleading his lenders and inappropriately using his customers' money for huge, wild, speculative bets through FTX's sister hedge fund. Or, as Bankman-Fried maintained in his apology tour after FTX collapsed, that it was a case of confusion and bad management. I mean, I'm deeply sorry about what happened. And at the end of the day, I, I was CEO of FTX. And that means whatever happened, whatever it happened, I had a duty. I had a duty to all of our stakeholders, to our customers, uh, our creditors. I had a duty to our employees, to our investors, and, and to the regulators of the world. I was shocked by what happened this month. And, you know, reconstructing it, uh, where are there things I wish I had done differently? I wanted to know how Zeke felt about that profile he wrote of SBF back in 2022. I was sitting right there with a guy running a giant financial fraud. I am an investigative reporter. My job is to identify these financial frauds. And I I didn't. So I do not feel good about that. Um, I wish I was here saying, and you, I was the the guy who spotted it and who alerted the world to it earlier before investors would have sent in maybe a few billion fewer dollars to FTX had the scam been outed before. Do you think, or how much do you think, his message to you that he was going to give his money away, his involvement with effective altruism, all of those appearances in Washington, kind of schlubby, saying, please regulate crypto. Like, how, how much did that contribute to people saying, well, this guy seems good? As a reporter, you're definitely looking for hypocrites. And this pitch that he was going to save the world was kind of suspicious. I think what actually helped him gain my trust was that when he was talking to people who were skeptical of crypto, he would act like he was also skeptical of crypto. He seemed sort of like the grown-up in the room who did not buy into number-go-up thinking, and that he was creating more like one of these Wall Street guys who was creating an app. And if people wanted to go gamble on crypto, maybe that's not even the best idea, but they can do it on his app and he's going to make money that way. And he, by all accounts, the app was great. It did work really well for gambling on crypto. So it seemed like there was a logical way where he would become really, really rich and achieve his goals without doing anything fraudulent. I mean, it, it would have been possible. And what I didn't suspect and what basically no one suspected was that he had this offshore crypto casino and it was seemed like a cool casino. People like gambling there. But he was essentially stealing the money out of the back of the casino and taking it to other casinos to buy Dogecoin. <laughs> and that was not like that was not on my radar. I was caught off guard when that was revealed to be the the truth. You were back in the Bahamas about a week after FTX collapsed. What did you expect to find there? I stayed up late one night and FTX had failed 
Sam had not been charged with anything, and he was uh, he he hadn't gone on his big apology tour yet. And I wanted to know what had happened. It looked really bad. Like it seemed pretty clear to me. Eight billion dollars was gone. News was coming out about sketchy things that had happened with this money. It seemed pretty clear that a fraud had been committed. Um, but I wanted to hear Sam's side of it. And I thought, even if he's not going to admit to anything, maybe there's something to be learned by hearing his explanation for this. So I stayed up really late one night because he keeps odd hours and sent him a message asking, essentially, he's a guy, he's a gambler. He loves odds. There's times in poker, right? Where it can, the best play can be to go all in, to bet all your money. And even if it doesn't work out, the fact that you you end up losing doesn't mean it was a bad bet. Maybe you just got unlucky and the other guy pulled, you know, the ace of spades and beat you. And so I tried to ask him, did you make some sort of mistake or did you just get unlucky and you had made the right play? And he said that was kind of an intriguing question. So I said, great, well, I'll be in the Bahamas tomorrow. See you soon. And then after like a few more days of suspense when it wasn't clear if if he was going to speak with me, he did invite me up to his $30 million penthouse to talk about this question for what it went on for like the whole day. And what did he say? Honestly, I think we were prevented from having the kind of discussion that I wanted because he knew that he was in legal jeopardy and needed to lay the groundwork for his criminal defense. He had been preparing at the time to, he thought he was going to go testify before Congress. So when I met him, he was working on the speech he was going to give there, which never happened because he got arrested. But that speech was supposed to start, I bleeped up. And that was sort of his pitch to me, was that he fully acknowledged that the $8 billion was gone and that he wasn't even really disputing that the hedge, his hedge fund had used that $8 billion and lost it. But he was trying to say that he did not know that was happening and that he basically just lost, was not paying attention and lost track of everything. And uh, so I'm sitting there and I mean, these are very big numbers. Whoops, I lost $8 billion. Right. And I, so I was like, Sam, are you, are you just, are you really saying you just misplaced $8 billion? And then he said to me, looking kind of pleased with himself almost, misaccounted. He got out of his computer and he was typing on a spreadsheet and trying to show me what he thought the $8 billion had been spent on and that how he, how he could have possibly imagined that it was less money. Because I'm just asking, like, common sense. You're here every day. You're the boss. You sort of know what's going on. Aren't you doing some mental math and being like, this is too much money. Where did it all come from? Are we maybe are we maybe embezzling the customer's money? And he was trying to say that he was paying so little attention, he did not even notice how much money was going out the door. And so I told him that I didn't think this was very plausible. Then he started talking about the people who were in charge of his hedge fund, which includes Caroline Ellison, who was his friend. They dated at times. And as he was talking about this, it was he his explanations were long. And I said to him, Sam, is the TLDR of this explanation, my ex-girlfriend did it? And he was just like, well, I don't know who did it. 
I'm thinking to myself, because I'm I'm there. I mean, I'm kind of joking now, but it was it was a grim situation. I'm thinking this guy will probably get arrested soon. He could spend, you know, decades in prison, and he's gonna be in court saying my ex-girlfriend did it. That that doesn't sound like something that Congress or a jury will ever like. And in a weird way, it was kind of sad to like spend a whole day talking about this stuff and living in this his weird bubble. This trial, is this the end of crypto or is this like some weird little speed bump and it becomes something else? I don't think that the fate of crypto is on trial. I think that crypto, we've seen what happened with this bubble. We've seen so many of the companies, not just Sam, that were hailed as like potentially the the future of finance or art or the internet have come to nothing. And I think that the next time that somebody pitches, oh, I've got this new coin and I'm going to create this metaverse and soon and that we're all going to live on the blockchain, I just don't think the pitch will have the same appeal. And I also, I mean, in the FTX part of this is that I think people will also worry, rightly, if I go invest in your new crypto thing, even if your coin is great and goes up, will this crypto app that I put my money in turn out to be a giant fraud and I lose my money that way anyway? So basically, I think the only thing that crypto proved to be any good for was gambling. And then Sam ruined that by turning the one of the best casinos into a big scam. Zeke Fox, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Lizzie. Zeke Fox is an investigative reporter at Bloomberg and the author of Number Go Up. You should check it out. It's an amazing read. And that is it for our show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell and Anna Phillips. Our show is edited by Jonathan Fisher. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. And TBD is part of the larger What Next family. We're also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. And if you are a fan of this show, I have a request for you. Join Slate Plus. Just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. We'll be back next week with more episodes. And be sure to check out Slate for all your Sam Bankman-Fried trial needs. All right. I am Lizzie O'Leary. Thank you so much for listening.